Last week we began a larger section in which Peter describes how Christians, how we're to live in subjection uh, or submission to others. Last week we saw how we are to live in subjection to the God-ordained institution of civil government. Today Peter wants us to think about how we, like Christ, are to submit in all of our relationships, especially those at work and at home. What you will hear from Peter today is something you won't likely hear from a podcast or a TED Talk. What you will hear from Peter is the opposite of the wisdom that this world offers. Don't submit to others. No, climb the ladder so that others will have to submit to you. But that is not the example of Christ, and Christ's example means everything to us. We see it in in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. But what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, Uh, In many ways, this is a challenging word. Our culture today does not affirm these things and, in fact, fact, speaks against them. 
Help us, though, to find our place in your holy word, whether we're married or not, whether we're bosses or employees or, or whether we're students or the like. Help us to understand more fully, as you have submitted, Lord, what it looks like for us to submit in this hurtful and hostile world, we pray. Amen. Have you ever sat in a pew and found yourself thinking, I hope the person next to me is listening. <laughs> Today's not that day. Today's scripture confronts us. It hits us close to home. And we cannot pass the buck or point fingers. Peter's words to us today tell us that we must put away our typical way of navigating relationships. When the world says, look out for number one, when the world says, if your marriage isn't fulfilling, then move on to whatever makes you happy. Peter says, not so fast. God has called you to follow in Christ's footsteps. As Jesus lived in gentle submission to all, likewise, so to us. Peter calls us to subject ourselves or submit ourselves. Husbands, honor your wives. and Wives, subject yourself to your husbands. Servants, subject yourselves to your masters. And notice how this submission isn't conditional. It's not based upon how deserving the people are. No, Peter shows us that we're to live in submission, not only to those who are good and nice, but also to the unjust. And amazingly, twice, in verses 19 and 20, Peter says, this is a gracious thing when you submit and suffer for doing good. There's a couple reasons why we need this passage to work upon us. One is that, at least it seems to me, that there are a lot of people, including Christians, who justify their anger and their critical spirit by the wrongs that have been done against them. In other words, there are a lot of people who, if you point out to them that they seem unduly angry or bitter or critical or slanderous of others, who then immediately tell you how badly they've been treated, how they've been let down, how they've been hurt. There seems to be an automatic, deeply rooted sense that if you've been mistreated or hurt, then the other person deserves to be put in their place and certainly not submitted to in gentleness and love. And think about it. When was the last time you heard someone say, yeah, I've been unjustly hurt. Yeah, they deserve justice. But no, I will not be bitter. I will not retaliate. I will not criticize or slander. I will instead return good for the evil. As Nathan read earlier, Jesus said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Let me ask you, how are you living this way? 
The second reason we need this passage is we need to grow in grace, do we not? Twice in our text, in verses 19 and 20, Peter says, living in submission to God for God's sake is a gracious thing. There's a link between your suffering at work or at school or in the home and the grace of God coming to you. And what is the link? The link is Christ. This is how he lived. This is how we're to live. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. We have a calling to live in submission. This is so contrary to how we are wired. And this is how the world lives. But thankfully, God is able to rewire us through his word by his Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to look for this morning. We're going to look at two different headings, working this out and then bringing this home. First, working this out. The big idea here is this. God calls his children to submit respectfully to those in authority, irrespective of how they are treating you. The context that Peter addresses is Christian servants who experience injustice from their masters. Now, of course, if we're careful, we can extrapolate this out to our workplaces or school, to authority in general. But before we jump in, let's take a look at the word servants. The Greek word is oiketes. Oikos is the Greek word for house, so oiketes is a house servant. But it's also used for servants in general. Now, here's where it gets tough. Servants in Peter's day and Jesus' day were slaves or bond servants. As slaves, they had few rights, and they're often treated harshly. Now, what we must come to understand this morning is that slavery in the ancient Roman times was far different than that in America. Slavery in America was ethnic-based. Blacks from Africa were kidnapped and forced into slavery by whites in the Roman Empire. Slaves, servants, they're from many different ethnicities, and they weren't kidnapped. Some, of course, were born into slavery, while many actually sold themselves as bond servants. See, in the Roman Empire, there was no such thing as a low-income job at McDonald's, no graduating high school and getting a union job with benefits. It is estimated that one-third of the population of those who lived in cities were slaves or bond servants. And slavery in ancient Rome didn't necessarily mean a low station in life. Slaves had more than just menial jobs. Some were doctors, teachers, tutors, managers of estates, writers, accountants, secretaries, even sea captains. And most slaves could expect to have their freedom by age 30. So in many ways, Roman slavery was way different than slavery in America, but it certainly had its similarities. Roman slaves were not free. They could not own property. In fact, they were property. They could be sold. And their masters were often cruel and unjust. That was the society structure back then. That was the workplace. 
Now, Peter is not saying that slavery in the Roman, of the Roman variety was a good thing. It was simply the way society was structured then, and Christians were in the thick of it. And so, when we apply this to ourselves today, we must recognize that work or being a student or a volunteer, it's far different than being a bondservant or a slave, which means you and I cannot say, well, Peter just doesn't know how bad I have it. If God is calling his people to subject, to subject themselves and do good as bondservants, then the calling upon us to subject ourselves to our bosses and then to do good to them, it applies. It applies. Peter knows, though, how countercultural this calling is. He anticipates his audience response. Surely, surely you don't mean that we need to submit to our mean masters. Yes, says Peter. Verse 18, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You know, we hear this, and it just, it just doesn't sit right, right? The next verse gets even more complex. Think about how you would describe your experience with the boss, a real harsh, unjust boss. Would you use words like cringeworthy, dreadful, ghastly? That's a great word. Life-sucking. Now look at how Peter describes it in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. This is a gracious thing. What? Christian, this is a completely different way of looking at life that you and I must embrace. You experience God's grace in your life when you submit in love to all. Let me ask you, do you have room in your head for this truth? This truth is so important that he repeats it again in verse 20. This time he asks, if you sin and are beaten for it, what benefit is there? In other words, if your boss is cruel to you and you like fight back by not doing the payroll right that week, you know, what benefit, right? You get what you deserve. You get punishment if your master finds out. But, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. My friends, to the unbelieving world, living like this makes absolutely no sense. And why is that? Because, listen, it's only in a relationship with God that any of this makes sense. Peter says in verse 19, it is a gracious thing when mindful of God. Verse 20, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter is saying that when we desire to honor God by submitting to others, we experience his grace. And listen, Peter's point isn't that some Christians, some Christians must sadly experience this. No, look at the first part of verse 1. For to this you have been called. He's speaking to the entire church, not anyone in individuals. All Christians, not just the mature Christians, not just the unlucky ones. And so this needs to register, my friends. Are you a Christian? then you're called to live the rest of your days in humble submission to those in authority over you. There is no exceptions. 
You cannot use the excuse, but you don't know how bad I have it. You weren't there. Well, guess what? You weren't there either when Christ subjected himself to the wickedness of this world and endured sorrow and suffered unjustly for you. That is where Peter takes us. Do you see that? Verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Why? So that you might follow in his steps. Christian, do you consider yourself a follower of Christ? Well, then Jesus left you an example to follow. And then Peter helps us to follow Jesus to the cross. Verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, that's God, who judges justly. Unlike you and me, Jesus lived his life completely without sin. If anyone had the right to cry out, this isn't fair, it was Jesus. And unlike you and me, are we not? We're like pretty good at like keeping our mouths shut, but at the same time hurling silent curses from our hearts, right? Not so Jesus. Remember when he was on the cross, people reviled him, they mocked him. He saved others. Why not save yourself? Remember these mindful of God words of grace? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Remember the two criminals crucified next to Jesus, how they mocked and taunted him. That is, until one came to place his trust in Christ. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, he said. And did Jesus say, you idiot, I gave you a chance earlier? No, gentle words of mercy and grace. Today you will be with me in paradise. Listen, the very cross that saves us is the cross that helps us make sense of Peter's words. We have a calling from God to subject ourselves to others, and Jesus is our supreme example. You remember how Peter needed to learn this? Remember when Jesus told Peter and his other disciples that, that he was going to Jerusalem to subject himself to the unjust rulers and, and suffer great sorrows and then be crucified but rise on the third day? Remember how Peter responded? Heck no, Jesus, you're not going to do that. No way are you going to subject yourself to any of this. Remember? Well, those aren't his exact words. He said, far be it to you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter was adamant that Jesus not subject himself. But do you see now, Peter has done a complete 180, telling Jesus not to live this way, to now he tells us to live this way. See, it was the cross of Christ that changed everything for Peter, and so to us. So that's the first point, working it out. Now for our last point, which is bringing it home. Think about this, right? Think about how good you can be at work, putting on this Christ-like kindness and gentleness, while as soon as you open the door to the home, 
We can become harsh, uncaring, selfish, bringing it home. The big idea here is this. We're to exhibit this God-honoring submission in our homes. Peter helps us to honor Christ in our marriages, and I know some of you here aren't married. He's just, just going to have to kind of try to extrapolate this out to your singleness. But look at chapter 3, verse 1, and then verse 7. We're going to look at these two together. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Then verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I think for most men, we're like, understanding way? I don't even know what that means, right? I have to listen? <laughs> I'm going to take these two exhortations together, for I'm afraid we can be quick to misunderstand God's design for marriage. God has, has an order to everything, not just the universe, but marriage itself. In the opening chapters of the Bible, God creates Adam and Eve and says, look how beautiful and good this is. The two of them together reflect God's image on earth. God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is a unity of diversity. The same for husband and wife. In marriage, we become a unity of diversity. Man and wife are completely equal before God. And man and wife have differing God-ordained roles. Now, before you go and think that these roles are for a bygone Victorian age, no. God never changes. Neither does his design for marriage. God the Father, the Son, and Spirit are all equal. But think of this. And yet the Son submits in great love to the Father. Now, if the members of the Trinity are equal in worth and glory, yet the Son submits to the Father, then we must affirm the goodness of husband and wife being equal in worth and glory. And yet God has different roles for them to embody. This is God's design. But we men and women, we just don't do it very well. If men lived with their wives in understanding ways, few wives would balk at God's call upon them to be subject to their husbands. But men fail this miserably, including Christian men. Some Christian men think they have a submit card that they can pull out in order to, in order to control their wives' behavior. I'm the man. I've got the card. God says. I remember going to a Christian wedding when I was right out of college. I wasn't a Christian at the time. And I remember the, the minister preached on that passage from Ephesians 5. You know, the one that often comes up. And, and it starts off, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body. I heard that. I thought, what a racket. I need to get me a Christian wife. My gosh. <laughs> But I was ignorant, as many are today. 
And I also didn't give too much thought to the words he said later, further down in Paul's exact same passage. Here's what Paul says to husbands, and I'm afraid it's a very challenging, challenging word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Likewise, husbands should love their wives as their own body. Man, we have a likewise calling to love our wives like Christ loves the church. It's impossible, but it should be our goal. Men, we have a likewise calling to live with our wives in an understanding way. And he adds to that, not just with an understanding way, but he says that we are to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, don't let that mess you up. Peter here is referring to physical strength. It's a fact. Men, by and large, in general, are physically stronger than women. But the point here is the physical nature of women is not something for men to take advantage of. No, men are to honor women. Oh, that we would live this way. Peter ends with two important points. One, that women are equal to men. Verse 7, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Men and women are co-heirs of the inheritance God has for his people, equal in value and worth. This was a statement that would be scandalous in Peter's day. Women, heirs with men, no way, not possible, against the law. I know it's hard for modern minds to grasp, but it was Christianity that liberated women. Peter ends with a word of caution. Did you hear it, men? So that your prayers may not be hindered. If your prayers are being hindered, perhaps reevaluate this text. John Stott put it this way. If husbands fail to give that honor to their wives, their fellowship with their wives will suffer, and so will their fellowship with God. Their prayers will be hindered. Christian men, likewise, as Jesus loves us and gave his life for us, as Jesus lives with great understanding, so you, likewise, let us live with love and understanding for our wives. May we show them honor, not just lip service, but honor. Now, let's move back up in our text. Verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Again, if husbands lived with great understanding for their wives, we would not need this exhortation. But sadly, men do not live with their wives like they should. And so this calling to live in subjection can fall on deaf ears. The the attitude of women can be, I'm not giving to my husband until I've 
gotten from my husband. And of course, you'd be right if you thought that marriage was a contract. Don't give anything until the other party delivers his promise. But a marriage is not a contract. It is what? A covenant. In richer or poor, sickness and in health, till death do us part. A covenant is an agreement between two parties where the two parties agree to bless each other, whether the other person fulfills their obligation or not. My friends, this is how God relates to us. Not by contract that he could rip up every time we fail. Thank God, right? No, God promised to bless us even if we fail because of his covenant, which is secured by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her so that he may present her, us, to himself in splendor and without blemish. And so this is the likewise part. As Jesus is faithful to God's covenant, even though we fail, so two wives are to live in covenant faithfulness, even when their husbands fail. Listen, please don't get so hung up on what seems like such a negative, submitting to ungrateful husbands. Focus upon what Peter focuses upon. He's saying, wives, you get to live your life with the same love for your husband as Jesus has for you. Let me ask you, do you want to live that way? It's often a love for the unloving. It's often a patient Patience for the impatient. It's often a kindness for the unkind, is it not? Can you see it this way? Though you might be the weaker vessel physically, you can live powerfully for your husband with Christ-like unconditional love. That's what Peter's getting at here. He's speaking to Christian women, many of whom are married to Unchristian men, and some of you share this reality. Talk about a hard calling. Men who make fun of your faith. Men who have zero spiritual interests. Men who cannot love you like Christ loves the church because they do not love Christ or his church. If this is you here today, there is hope that God offers you. When you live the likewise life of sacrificial love and Christ-like service before your unbelieving husband, God can use it to win your husband without a word. Look at verse 1 and 2. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, that is believe, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure character and conduct. This is both an extremely hard calling, but also I hope you see a transforming calling. It is hard in that it seems never ending. You can feel so alone in your marriage. You can be envious of Christian couples 
who get to pray together and serve together and go to church together. But it's also transforming, I hope you see. To love your unbelieving husband with this Christ-like unconditional love brings you closer to Christ. And it becomes what Peter is talking about, a gracious thing. You find yourself loving your husband like you never thought possible and giving thanks to God for the opportunity. It even changes your appearance. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair. Anybody got braided hair here? Sorry. (laughs) The putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear. But listen, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with its imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which in God's sight, listen, is very precious. First off, Peter isn't saying, don't wear jewelry. All right. He is saying, let your inner refinement that Christ works in you be what makes you attractive. You'll not be married for this to be a goal of yours, right? Peter calls it a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle is the same word, protes, often used or translated as meekness. The meekness that what? Inherits the earth. Remember, meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. You must have an an inner strength in order to be able to submit in gentleness. A weak person cannot be gentle. They have not the resources. But Christian, you have the resources. You are strong in Christ. Therefore, you can live in gentleness and meekness. You don't have to win the argument. You don't have to set the record straight. You don't have to return evil with evil. Listen, it takes great gospel power to live this way. And this power is yours in Christ. God has given you the resources. Therefore, let them not sit on a shelf. Use them in your marriage. The 19th century English Christian leader, George Muller, he told the story of a wealthy man he knew whose wife was a devout believer. This man was a heavy drinker, spending late nights in a tavern. They would get laid, and she would send the servants to bed, and she'd stay up until he returned. She'd receive him kindly, and never scold him or complain. One night in the the tavern, the man told his companions, I bet if I go to my house, okay, I won't, I won't try to act drunk. All right. <laughs> I bet if we go to my house, just try to imagine him there. My wife will be sitting up waiting for me. She will come to the door and give us a royal welcome and make supper for us if I ask her. He's got the submit card. They were skeptical at first. They decided to go along and see. And sure enough, she came to the door, received them with a gentle and quiet spirit, and willingly agreed to make supper for them without the slightest trace of resentment. And after serving them, she went off to her room, 
And as soon as she left, one of the men began to condemn the husband. What kind of man are you to treat such a good woman so miserably? The accuser got up without finishing his meal, and then one after the other, they all did the same thing. Moeller says the husband became deeply convicted of his heartless treatment of his wife, went to his wife's room, asked her to pray for him, and he repented of his sins and surrendered to Christ. She won him to Christ without a word. My friends, we've seen this morning that we get to live the likewise life. Like Christ, we get to live in humble submission. As Jesus, the eternal Son, lived in complete submission to his heavenly Father, and in gentle submission to the cruel authorities on this earth, likewise, we have a calling to live in submission, be it in our places of work with hostile bosses, or school with difficult teachers, or at home with unappreciative husbands or wives, we are called to live the likewise life. As Christ was reviled, but did not revile in return, as he suffered injustice, so that by his wounds we are healed, likewise, we have a calling, what? To follow in his footsteps. My friends, think about this fact. You will never become more like Jesus than when, mindful of God, you submit to others. My friends, submission is a gracious thing. And to this you have been called. Let's pray. Father, even after sitting under your word, there's just something about this that just seems hard and, and maybe wrong, and we're just so used to pressing our rights and defending ourselves and hurling insults when others harm us. This just seems so contrary to our character. We're thankful, though, that Jesus didn't just submit to the cross for our sins and rise from from the grave, but he also reigns in heaven, and that as we abide in Christ, we become like Christ, more enabled to follow in his footsteps. We pray this for ourselves and for the person sitting next to us in the pew. Amen.